Well, Father, we acknowledge you for who you are and what you've done. And God, we know that in the midst of all the circumstances we face and the difficulties and struggles, um, that you are at work, that God, you want to renew and rebuild and restore our relationships. And God, as we stand there, as we, as we stand and sing, as we sit and listen to your word, God, I pray that you would revive our marriages, that, that as our marriages go, um, God, that you would work in and through them, knowing that there are some maybe here who aren't married, there are some here who are married and maybe going through struggles, and really maybe there are some here who are just loving life and, and having a great marriage season right now. So God, we pray that you would restore and rebuild our marriages, that God, we would understand that these marriages reflect our relationship with you and what you have done. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5, um, and as you do, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to give you a heads up just in case. Do I see any kids? Any kids? Any kids? Okay, all right. We're kind of going into a PG-13 version of a sermon, all right? So <laughs> I'm going to warn you because this is no holds barred. My son's back there holding the thumbs up. He's like, yeah, all right. So, all right. Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to be starting in verse 15, but I'm going to read actually in verse, or we're going to be focusing on verse 15 through 23, but I'm going to read all of chapter 5 to kind of give you an idea uh, of what's taking place. This is uh, a father writing to his son, and he says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain, listen, discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip with honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my son, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. And I want to stop there real quick, give you an idea of what's taking place. This father is warning his son against the way of an adulterous woman. Now, for those of you who are men, you're thinking, heck yeah, it's talking all about the women, and I'm not worried about it. No, that's not the reality of what's going on whatsoever. The reality is the father is warning what happens when you chase after something that is not yours. When you chase after something that is in a beautiful picture, something that is unbiblical because you are now chasing after a person to fulfill a need or a desire while a physical desire is an understanding. It is that thing that is going to lead you astray. And so he's warning his wife, or sorry, warning his son about the dangers of chasing after sexual temptation outside the bounds of marriage. Do you get that picture? You got it? You understand it? I want you to see what's taking place. And he's literally saying that there are going to be problems, that later on in life you're going to have some massive issues because you chased after that person or you chased after those people, 
things like that, all right? So as we do that, now we're going to jump into chapter 5, verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your spring overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, and everybody's going, huh? What's this got to do with what we're talking about? Good, great. I'm glad you asked because we're going to get into that. Look at verse 17. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son? By an adulteress. Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast, and he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Now, today we're going to be jumping in to what I have titled fast food or fine dining, all right? Now, everybody likes a little fast food every now and then, right? Like, it's just easy. It's simple. It's something that's a quick fix. I'm hungry. I can go through the drive-thru. I can spend, well, $7 now. You can't get anything for five bucks for the most part. Um, But I can spend $7 and I can eat really unhealthy. But you know what? It's just, it's a great quick fix to a long-term solution, right? The long-term solution, I'm hungry, but it's a quick fix. It's an answer for it. All right. In, 19, in 2004, there was a guy named Morgan Spurlock who did a social experiment and a documentary called Supersize Me. Anybody ever see Supersize Me? All right. In this movie or in this documentary, he basically set out to eat McDonald's. This is, this is torturous in and of itself, in my opinion. To eat McDonald's for 30 days every meal. Every meal. Talk about torturous. That would drive me nuts. It's torturous. Matter of fact, I, I, I went and had lunch with Brooklyn on Friday. Was it Friday? Yeah, Friday. And she said, Dad, up at school, she said, Dad, will you bring me McDonald's? And I was like, oh, like, serious? Like, I, I could never eat McDonald's again. Matter of fact, I used to love McDonald's fries, but they've changed the grease. They taste funny now. They don't taste the same. So when she said, will you bring McDonald's, I was like, Oh, and so Friday night, we went out on a date night, and I was starving. Like, I, I mean, I had McDonald's, all right, but I was starving by the time it came to eat, and I was like, man, I don't know why I'm so hungry, and Sarah goes, I do. You ate McDonald's. It was a quick fix that doesn't even hold you over for a long period of time, but Morgan Spurlock set out to do this and show what would happen as a result of him eating McDonald's Every day for a month, for every meal. He couldn't eat anything else. He would only supersize if they offered him the supersize meal. Otherwise, he just ate everything. And he had to eat everything off the menu at some point. And what resulted was an unhealthy characteristic. And in the process, his weight skyrocketed. His energy levels plummeted. And he experienced all sorts of unexpected and terrifying side effects. Um, He went into the doctor, and the doctor talked about his elevated heart rate, elevated cholesterol. It took him, listen, he gained 26 pounds. It took him a year and four months to get back down to the weight he was beforehand. And even then, he still experienced multiple side effects as a result of what took place with him eating McDonald's day in and day out for 30 straight days. 
And while we sit there and look at that, I want to challenge you with this. I believe wholeheartedly that what's taking place in culture and in society when it comes to relationships, specifically involving physical sex, that is exactly what most people are settling for. We settle for a quick fix to a long-term problem. We settle for what feels good at the time, what really causes problems down the road, both in your future marriage or even in your, mar- your life now. If you're single, these should be standards with which you now live. If you're married, I want you to understand that married life and sex within marriage is something that God intended from the get-go and intended to be great. Sarah and I have gone out to Jay Gilbert's. Jake, anybody been to Jay Gilbert's? Um, yeah, by far the best place I've ever eaten in my life. Literally. I, I'm not, I, literally. But the thing about Jay Gilbert's is when we've gone in there, it is a four-course meal. So when you go in, you get your salad, you get your side fixings, and you get your desserts, you get all of these things together. Now, you pay for it, all right? We've been, the only reason we've been is because we received gift cards to it, all right? Because it's that expensive. But the question is this, would you rather have a good home-cooked meal or even fine dining, or would you rather have fast food? And I want you to put that in perspective to your relationships. Because even in the midst, I'm not just talking the sexual aspect, but in the midst of most relationships, we settle for the fast food mentality rather than the fine dining. We don't invest time cooking and getting things developed. We go for the quick fix. We don't do the the selection at the grocery store and pick out nice cuts of meat and good chicken. A lot of times we'd rather settle for the fast food fix in the marriage relationship. And I believe that what Proverbs lays out here in verses 15 through 23 is for us to understand that we don't settle for the fast food fix, but we go for the fine dining experience. And so in today's culture, we live in a world of quick satisfaction and we think about, well, I'll just worry about the consequences later. And what I want you to understand is this. I believe that the point of Proverbs, this section of Proverbs even as well, is to desire wisdom and to behave wisely because nothing in life so clouds our judgment and makes us stupid fools out of the wisest as surrendering to forbidden passion. Things that God set up that are not standards. Things that God set up that that we shouldn't even focus on. So Proverbs chapter 5, along with Genesis chapter 2, along with the Song of Solomon, even specifically chapter 5, sounds the note of unembarrassed, listen to me, unembarrassed, you can even write that down, it sounds the note of unembarrassed passion and excitement between a husband and a wife, okay? The reason why I want you to understand unembarrassed is because too many in Christian circles get so embarrassed about talking about sex. <gasps> we don't talk about that. Even to the point where I had a father one time actually tell me as the youth pastor, we were going through a, a thing called every young man's battle and we're dealing with teenagers and we're talking to teenagers about all the issues that come along with sex and pornography and all these different things. And I remember going to the father and I would send questions home every week and I remember telling the father, hey, Did you have your conversation with your boys? He's got four teenage boys. And he said, no, that's not my job. That's yours. And I was like, I'm a youth pastor, bro. 
I got your kid like one week out of the, or one hour out of the week. You should be talking about this with your children. You should understand this and get this communicated to them. Why? Because we live in a society that says, literally, especially if you're in the younger persuasion, the younger generation, we live in a society that says marriage is terrible, don't get married. Rather, enjoy the physical aspects of sex without the marriage. Enjoy the physical, get rid of the baggage. Do you get the picture of what's taking place? Our society is saying that is normal. That's every day. That's what you should do. Don't worry about the baggage. Don't get married. Don't have the commitment. Worry about the physical. Fulfill the physical. And the reality is this. The physical is a result of a spiritual and emotion connection that takes place between a husband and a wife. I remember as a youth pastor hearing this multiple times being said, that the average teenager experiences the equivalency of seven divorces by the time they graduate high school because of the emphasis they place upon dating, especially the physical aspect of sex within the relationship. Now, I've never been divorced. Matter of fact, my dating life never exceeded two months until I met my wife. If the woman or the girl at the time was not somebody that was what I would call marriage quality, it was hit the road jack. And don't you come back. <laughs> Make that sound bad. All right. I'm going to sound like a guy with no heart, but it was kind of that, nope, you're not, you're not the one. <laughs> you know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you, whatever you want to call it. All right. It was just over. And I didn't leave that door open to go back. Okay? And so what we have to begin to understand is that because we live in a society that views things differently, we have to begin to understand and be taught what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about this? And as a matter of fact, I want you to understand this. There's a book uh, written by a guy named Ted Cunningham called As Long As We Both Shall Live. And he references this. And I want to just kind of unpack this just quickly and then we're going to jump in to our main point. Builders are people who were born between 1922 and 1943 they stay married, they worked through issues, they worked hard, and their idea to the kids was, I didn't have it, you don't need it. Right? I didn't have it, you don't need it. If we did without it, you don't need it as well. So that's a builder generation. Now here's the boomers. This is where my parents fall, 1943 to 1960. They believed in the longevity of marriage, but you hide marital struggles. In other words, don't deal with the truth, just hide the problems. Work long, be successful. Their mentality was, I didn't have it, but I'm going to make sure you get it. Why? Because I didn't have it. So we're going to love you and get you what you need or what we didn't have. The Busters, this is me, all right? 1960 to 1980, my wife as well, barely, all right? Give marriage a shot. Divorce is an option. Work only as much as necessary. Be great parents, but okay lovers. And to the kids, I didn't have it, but I'm going to get you everything. Now here's the millennials. Millennials currently right now is really anybody born after 1980. There's kind of a broad expanse. Millennials have a different viewpoint on a lot of things. But they have the viewpoint of this, that you delay marriage. You wait for compatibility in a soulmate. You work smarter, not harder. They have access to information at the touch of a button. But I want you to understand this. As of 2014, 
59% of millennials were unmarried, single, had never been married. Does that say that marriage has taken a turn for the worse in viewpoints among generations? Yes. And as a result of that, more millennials are having sex before they were married. More millennials are having kids outside of marriage. More millennials are having kids outside of marriage and they're financially supporting them even though there's no relationship between the woman and the man. And so what we have to begin to understand is that marriage can be awesome, but we've got to change the viewpoint amongst the younger people, as well as people in and of ourselves. Marriage can be awesome. And I want you to understand this, that your marriage can be better than your parents' marriage. You can't look at your marriage uh, the, that your parents have and go, well, then that just means I'm set up for failure. And so the challenge is this, that there's a myth that sex is only physical, that if you treat sex as if it's just physical, that you hurt yourself and eventually your partner. But ma- sex is more than physical. Is it not? Sex is a more than physical thing, and if that's not the case, then why do so many people who have been sexually abused or raped have mental problems? And what I mean by that is mental anguish and struggle, and they struggle from depression, and they struggle with, why do they have that? If sex is solely physical, why are there issues? And that's because sex isn't just physical. But we've made it all about physical because that's what we've been taught by certain things within the world. And so here's my main point. If you remember anything, you re- I want you to remember this, that sex was designed by God to be more than physical. It is a spiritual celebration of love. Now, if you want to, you can highlight or underline this, between a husband and a wife. Sex was designed by God to be more than physical. It's a spiritual celebration of love between a husband and wife. So what's the guideline for sexual intimacy? Because I believe that Proverbs lays this out very simple. Proverbs' whole point is to get across wisdom and understanding, to be able to make those wise decisions. What's the guideline for sexual intimacy? Number one, sex in marriage flows with life. Okay? Now, If you're a person here who hasn't been to church and you're like, whoa, they're talking about sex in church, holy smokes. I want you to understand this. I want to be very clear. Sex in marriage flows with life. Listen to what verse 15 says. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own what? What? Well, why is it saying that? See, water in chapter 5 of Proverbs, along with Song of Solomon, stands for literally quenching one's sexual thirst. Did you know that? Go read Song of Solomon, chapter 5. It stands for quenching one's own sexual thirst. And so there's this idea, but I want you to understand what water means. Water was what? In that time frame, water was a valuable, prized possession in a climate where water was scarce. And what I want to paint this picture is this, that I believe that God knows this wholeheartedly that God created sex, God made it to be taken place within the context of a husband and wife, and as a result, God knows that sex within a married relationship is a valued and scarce resource. But I also want you to see this. It's a refreshing, life-giving resource, is it not? Water represents life. And what I'll even venture to say is this, 
that as the marriage relationship goes, so goes the sex within the marriage relationship. Sex in marriage flows with life when done properly within the bounds with which God sets it up. And see, the key emphasis is that the wife is the cistern that collects the water during dry times and is a well-being uh, or a well-fed fresh spring that is better quality than that stored in the cistern. Listen to what he says. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. And here is the beautiful picture, men, that you have to begin to understand. Is that that well water, that well water from the spring of your wife is life-giving. And it brings together a husband and wife together in a unique situation that nothing else can. And outside of the bounds of marriage, nothing else will. Because otherwise, it's all just merely physical. See, there are dry times in marriage, are there not? Anybody would say, man, ours is just, there are dry times in marriage, right? There are difficult times, there are difficult seasons, and I'm not talking from a sexual aspect even. I'm just talking about dry times. When the going gets tough and you feel like, oh my gosh, we're just walking through the motions, right? He hasn't said, I love you. She hasn't done this. And we start to bicker and complain and go back and forth. There's this dry time. And during dry times, guess what? The only thing is that sustains you, the love you have for each other. Physical things are going to fail. I mean, all you got to do is look at the body. You begin to fail, right? You might have been ripped before, 6'2", 240, had a six-pack, I don't know. And now you don't have a six-pack. Now you don't have any pack. Now you got a beach ball sitting in your drawers. I don't know what it is, all right? You got, you got problems, right? It's hanging down. It's like, oh my gosh, where did this thing come from? I got a tire around my belly. Physical things begin to fail. But the love you have for each other shouldn't because it's unconditional and so sex in marriage flows with life and I want you to get this picture because it creates a picture as cool refreshment for the hot desires which are met by drinking or lovemaking that is literally what he's laying out a cool refreshment for the desires that take place between a husband and a wife and they're only met by lovemaking number two what's the guideline for sexual intimacy Sex must not be shared with others. Now, for those of you who are married and you would say, well, I've never had an affair on my wife, that's great. That's grand. That's awesome. I want to ask you, what are you sharing, though? What have you allowed to creep into your marriage relationship that may be hindering? Maybe it's, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's not pornography. Maybe it's just movies that you know you shouldn't be watching, but you watch them because you know that there's women in a certain dress, doing certain things that you know shouldn't be happening. Listen to what happens. It says it should not be shared with others. Look at verse 16 and 17. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares. This is talking to the husband, not the wife. In other words, he's saying, hey, don't you go running around being some jack wagon idiot who's going to go around and do whatever the heck you want. Your stream should not be flowing out in the public square. In other words, you don't share that with anybody else, including a movie, a magazine, or an internet thing that's going on. 
Sex is meant to be between the husband and the wife. The man should not take his love and desire to anyone else by going out in the street. What this is literally communicating is you don't go out to the prostitutes who are out in the street. You're going to stay with your wife. The wife of your youth that it gets to here in just a second. And so sex is not to be shared, must not be shared with other people. Verse 17 literally means that the man should never be willing to share his woman with anybody else. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. And likewise, it's not just sharing my woman with or my wife with somebody else. It's sharing yourself with anybody else. And the question is this today, from a purity standpoint, from a holiness standpoint, men, because I've, I've read statistics anywhere from 70 to 87% of men struggle with pornography in some way, shape, or form, especially younger ones who have it so easily accessible on their phone. But I want to challenge you with this. If that is a problem, and maybe, maybe, it's, not, maybe it's not pornography, maybe it's not movies, maybe you just in your mind as you're walking around the mall or a store or out at a restaurant, maybe you're just gander and looks. Maybe it's a coworker who was wearing something she shouldn't most likely be wearing, but that's not her problem when you just constantly stare at her. You have to learn discipline to look away. Sex is not to be shared with other people. And so literally what he's painting, if you remember in the first couple verses of chapter 5, that adultery is honey that goes bitter, but your wife is water that stays sweet. Now, I put this into perspective for me when we were running, uh, training for the Kansas City Marathon, half marathon. Uh, my wife told me about this stuff called goo packets. All right, they're supposed to give you energy and, and excitement, like just give you that boost that you need to kind of fill that void. And so she gave me one of these goo packets. Oh my gosh, about hurled my, oh, if I would have had anything in my body that day, it would have been out. And the bad thing was, number one, it tasted bad, but then it like coated my mouth in this sugary, slimy, bitter, gross, and I could not get, I'm like, I'm like taking the water, just I'm trying, and the guy I'm running with is like, what's wrong? I'm like, dude, man, I can't, like my mouth is so sticky, I can't hardly breathe, I'm just spitting it constantly, and I, I never ate a goo pack again, and I won't ever eat a goo pack again because it was gross. I wouldn't eat that even if I had a gallon of water sitting next to me. It's like, Ugh. Um, but that's what the idea of an adulterous woman is. It's honey at first that turns bitter. Go home and take some honey, mix it with some vinegar. Actually, put like three parts vinegar to one part honey. That's an adulterous woman. That's what happens when you hook up with somebody outside of marriage, including, listen to me, including a fling on the internet or on your phone with pornography. You're literally feeding this fix inside of you that leads to bitterness. And here's what happens in the marriage relationship. When you allow pornography to become that fix or you allow those addictions to sexual things through movies and stuff to become the fix, you know what you begin to do on your wife? You begin to place those expectations and guess what that does in the marriage? Because those are unhealthy expectations. Those unhealthy expectations begin to be played out in the marriage, and you start to think, well, my wife should be doing things like this. 
when that's not even healthy in the first place. Why? Because sex is not to be shared with others, but it's a private thing that you work in. And, and my wife even gave me this last week, and I had to throw it in because I thought it was brilliant, and she wrote it down. Sex outside of marriage is because you love yourself, whereas sex inside of marriage is because you love each other. If you take part in sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship, it's because you're in it for you. As a matter of fact, if you're single and you have somebody saying, hey, if you love me, you're going to sleep with me, say, nah, 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 bro. You ain't committed. Ain't going to happen. That's the way it's got to go. And I'm just going to be point blank because that's the way I dealt with teenagers. You got to deal with this stuff head on. Sex must not be shared with others. And we've got to get that through our thick skull, including Christians. And I mentioned this downstairs to some of us. A lot of times people in church will go, oh, well, yeah, you know, homosexuality is wrong. But hey, you know, at least they're living with somebody that, that, that they love. Oh, please let me, and I want, to, I want you to understand this. Sex is a beautiful, this is number three. Sex is a beautiful celebration within proper boundaries. And so look at verse 18. Oh, this, this is the favorite part. May your fountain be what? Did you just get what that said? May your fountain be blessed. Remember what the spring is. What is the spring? It's this idea of water, water coming out, water breathing life. Water fulfills a sexual what? Desire. May your fountain be blessed. In other words... May the relationship that you have with your wife or with your husband sexually be a blessing. That as the two come together in worship through a sexual encounter, that it would be blessed. And listen, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. See, this passage just focuses on sexual pleasure in marriage and romance. Matter of fact, I'm going to read this quote. Uh, there's a guy named Paul David Tripp who speaks. He's an older pastor, and he, he wrote this, but I'm going to change it just a little bit. This is what he says. Romance is never the cause of a good marriage. Romance is the result of a good marriage. And if you look to romance uh, to form for you a good marriage, you're going to be anxious discouraged, disappointed, freaked out, and ultimately hopeless. In other words, if you look to romance as the thing that's going to cause your good marriage, you're going to have problems. But I change it to this. Sex is never the cause of a good marriage. Sex is the result of a good marriage. Do you get that picture? A lot of people want to have the sex and go, man, the sex is great, so the marriage is going to be good. When the reality is the relationship is good, the love is good. Christ is first and foremost. As a result, because we love each other, the sex is great. That is the different thing. Because sex is not the cause of a good marriage. Sex is the result of a good marriage. Do you see how we get things kind of backwards? How we try and fulfill a desire or a need because of those things. And so the command, listen, listen what he's saying. It's literally a command, all right? The command to rejoice in the wife of your youth implies negatively that the man should never have sexual relationships with anybody else other than his wife. And all of this, 
Everything that's going on here will affect your marriage relationship. If you are carrying it out in in public and talking with people about it in public, your marriage is going to suffer. If you look at pornography, your marriage is going to suffer. Why? Because all of that brings emotional, spiritual, physical, as well as sexual problems into the marriage. But positively, listen, positively that marriage should increase sexual joy and fulfillment because sex brings about a satisfaction and enjoyment together when the couple is married. And so I say this, if your sex life is stale, your marriage is stale because sex is a result of a good marriage. Sex should not set the temperature in the marriage, but rather what's going on in your marriage relationship sets the temperature with which your sexual life takes part in. Do you get that picture? It's kind of funny. I wish you guys could see your faces because everybody's like, it's, it's like to a certain extent like junior high sex education class. I'm just waiting for everybody to bust out laughing, but nobody wants to. It's like, <laughs> I'm serious. I wish, I, like, never mind. I was going to have my wife hand me her phone and take a picture, but never mind. <laughs> so, all right. But listen, here's, here's the big kicker. The husband, that the husband and wife can quench each other's desires quantitatively and qualitatively. And that's a discussion that has to take place between a husband and wife. So I'm not going to come up here and we're not going to talk about all that. But you have to learn that there is a time to abstain for holiness and for prayer. But there's also a time to come together. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I think speaks volumes to all of us about this. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 says this, Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry. Uh-oh, wait a second. What? It's good for a man not to marry. Listen to what he says. But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And I hope you understand why we stand where we stand on the issue of homosexuality because we believe biblically. Now, I don't look at homosexual sin any different than somebody when they're living outside the bounds of marriage, all right, with that issue. So listen, this is not a Brian preference. This is just a biblical truth. Since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. You get that picture too, men? Every time you access pornography, you flirt with another woman, you are violating the very principle with which your body doesn't belong to you. Your body belongs to your wife just as much as it belongs to you. Remember, remember that. So think about that. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And here's one of those things I want to challenge you women as well. Because I've heard of women doing this. It's like, I'm going to withhold any sort of sexual activity until you get your act straight, all right? And until you 
really start to act the way I want you to do it. In other words, once you start showing me love, I'm going to completely withhold any sort of sexual activity. Now, I believe that there are issues on the man's side with that, all right? Let me clarify. But for you to hold it out as a reward is no different than what happens with a dog. That dog will eventually run to another source of food if you withhold food because it's not doing what you say. And so we have to begin to understand the mutual consent coming to a point where we say, look, we know that at this point we can't, we focus on prayer, but then you come back together. Why? So that you will not be given into the temptation of what Satan is going to do to mislead or abuse your husband. All right? So wives, don't set out to captivate your husband through slavery to that issue, but rather set out to captivate your husband with your love, with the love that you have for him. Or don't use sex literally as a, as a, as a reward system, but rather use it as a system where you come together, celebrating that beauty. And husbands, I want to challenge you with this as we kind of wrap up. Do you let your wife know that you're captivated by her? Because listen to what he says. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. And I want to communicate this picture to get this across. This idea of captivated literally means intoxicated, enamored, charmed, fascinated, simply by her, by her love for you. Do you let her know that? Do you let her know that you are intoxicated? I mean, think about that. I'm drunk. I mean, isn't there a song out there, I'm drunk on your love? Isn't that some? I, I was thinking I heard it one day. I was like, oh my gosh, what the heck is this? But it's that idea that you are intoxicated with the love of your wife. Do you communicate that? And the last thing, number four, what are the guidelines for the sexual intimacy? Sex carries consequences when done incorrectly. Listen to what he says in verses 21 and following. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him, and the cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. And so the desire or the dire consequences of what takes place should motivate you to avoid it. And what I want to challenge you with is this. There are four reasons I believe that we need to avoid sexual sin, all right, or sin in general. Number one is this, that God sees man's ways. That means he sees what? Everything. If God sees everything, then everything I do, God sees. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? All right? But he's laying this out. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. So why should I not give in to the sexual desires that take place? Why? Because God sees it. And listen, God calls us. As a matter of fact, he says it in 1 Peter that we are to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart. As a matter of fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says to flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because all the other sins a man commits are outside his body, but the one he commits sexually is in his body. And remember, your body is not yours. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are no longer yours. You were bought at a price. Who are you? 
you are Jesus. Your body is not yours. We present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So listen, number four, or number one, was God sees a man's ways. Number two, why should we not participate in that? Because God examines our conduct. And I just told you that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. That's the role that you should take. So husbands, or men in general, are you fleeing from the sexually immoral things that are around you? Or do you run to them? Because I'm telling you, I'm, I'm most likely guaranteeing that this is probably evident in somebody's life here today. And what I mean by that is, whether it's pornography or sex outside of marriage, it is something that takes place that drives us. And once it catches on, as a matter of fact, I heard the statistic at one point um, that sex or the sexual addiction as a result of pornography is actually seven times more addicting than the most potent drug that you can be addicted to. You get that? Seven times more addicting. We have addictive therapy sessions for people who are hooked on alcohol and drugs, and we do have sexual addiction uh, things as well. But it's seven times more addictive because of the natural chemical the brain releases as a result of seeing things. Ladies, this is why I think it's valuable and vitally important that you watch how you dress, what you do, what you say, things like that. Because, listen, a man, and you may think we're weird, does not think like you. And all the men said, amen. <laughs> because it just, it's the way God created us. But I want you to understand what takes place and why you have to be on your guard as well. Number three, why or what are the consequences? What are four reasons we should avoid sexual sin? Number three, because sin ensnares us and ties a person down. Listen to what he says. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of sin hold him fast. I want you to think about being tied to something and not being able to move, being bound to that, because that's literally what carries out with this idea of sin. And here's the big picture that I want you to see. That sin is the same sin for which Jesus died for. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But listen, that sin is not a crutch with which to live and say, well, you know what, I've always had this problem, so I'm always just going to continue to have it. No. God never accepts that standard to say, oh, okay, I'm just going to put up with it. God died on the cross to pay for your sins, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, to be the crutch with which you lean on when you are weak, to be the one that you go to when you struggle with that temptation and so why do we run from the sin? Why do we run from that sexual sin? Because it's going to tie you down. It's going to bog you down. And then the last thing, why do I run from it? Because death is the expected result of sexual immorality. Listen to this. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Your marriage will die if you feed it constantly through pornography, through sexual addiction, through movies, through expecting your wife to live up to the very pornographic things that you watch, the things you access, your marriage will die. A slow, painful death. And what I want to say is this, your marriage doesn't have to be dead. Jesus forgives you of your sins. Jesus cleanses you of the unrighteousness. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price so that, listen, your marriage... Even the sexual aspect of a marriage between a husband and a wife, 
best reflects a loving relationship built upon no conditions that promotes and speaks and points to the gospel. Because Jesus and the bride, which is the church, is what marriage reflects. That a husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church and that a wife submits lovingly. Remember submission not being a servant aspect, but an equality aspect. Lovingly submits out of reverence for Christ to her husband. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with this, and I know it's kind of a touchy thing, but I just want to pray. We're going to have uh, the, the worship team come up and play, and I'm going to pray, and as I pray, maybe you're somebody who, maybe your marriage has struggled, maybe you struggle with pornography and addiction, maybe you want to pray about it, maybe you need to talk to somebody about it, but I want to challenge you that our marriages would best reflect the gospel in a way that is beneficial, not just for our physical, intimate aspects through sex, but that it points people to Christ, that my marriage would best reflect and let people see that in that marriage relationship, you can have love, you can have life, you can have fulfillment. And I can challenge you this, that I would venture to say that a Christian sex life, when done properly within the bonds of marriage and understanding what's taking place, should blow the doors off of anybody's sex life outside the bounds of marriage. Let's pray. <clears throat> well, God, I know this can be sometimes an awkward, maybe for some an embarrassing discussion because different generations view things differently. Some view things very private. Some view things very public. But God, we know that right now that the temptation that Satan wants to use is very strong through the lens of adultery and pornography, sex outside of marriage and things like that. And God, I pray that you would have your way, that God, we would be able to celebrate, to understand the beauty of sex within the bounds of marriage, that we would understand the, the joy we can have to celebrate and remember the wife of our youth to know that it doesn't have to stop after we get married. It doesn't have to stop after the, night, the honeymoon night. But God, that you can, can carry over. You can build us up. You can strengthen us. And God, I know that there may be some today who struggle with the sin. How to begin, where to, where to start, how to address it. And God, I pray that just where we are at, that we would be holy and pleasing. We would ask for help if we need help. That we would talk and get the Maybe wisdom we need from somebody else. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.